Section 16 of The World War. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Colleen McMahon. The World's Story, Volume 15, The World War. Edited by Horatio W. Dresser. Section 16. The Battle of the Marne, 1914, by Major F. E. Witten. According to the report of Sir John French, commanding the British forces, General Geoffrey, commander-in-chief of the Allied armies, announced his intention on September 5th to take the offensive, and on Sunday the 6th at sunrise the combined movements of the armies began. The great battlefront extended from Hermionville through Lisée on the Marne, Montpertuy, Courtecamp, to Esternay and Charleville, the left of the Ninth Army under General Foch and so on to a point north of the fortress of verdun the battle continued until the evening of september tenth when the germans had been driven back to the line of soissons rems with the loss of thousands of prisoners many guns and great masses of transport the editor the position of the five german armies concerned in the pursuit of the franco-british left and centre was on the evening of the fourth generally speaking a line in close touch with the allied front the fifth army under the crown prince after its successful engagement at longville had thrown its right wing across the meuse below verdun and had moved against the fortress which was then partially invested in touch with this army and to the west of it was the fourth army under the duke of Württemberg, which after its victory near sedan was pushed on past chalons where it was sharply attacked by the retiring french fourth army working still westward was the german third army then came a gap to where lay the first army of general von kluck which had been chiefly charged with the shepherding of the british force and of sweeping the country wide to the west the right columns of this army had stretched to amiens and beauvais while cavalry detachments had penetrated almost as far as rouen on the third of september its main body was on the line creole saint nantuil and it had begun to close in on its left for by that date lille arras douai bethune and lens were reported to be clear of germans on that day there occurred an event which was to change the whole aspect of the war the direction of the march of the german first army was altered hitherto an advance on paris had been regarded as almost certain but just after midnight on the night of the third and fourth of september a dispatch was published in paris to the effect that contact with the germans on the line creule had been lost some unexpected movement was clearly foreshadowed and early in the morning of the fourth aeroplanes rose from the city to solve the mystery during the forenoon they were able to report to general galliani the military governor of paris that cavalry scouts followed by large bodies of infantry were moving in a southeasterly direction across the british front and further air reconnaissances in which the british aviators did splendid service placed it beyond all doubt that all day long on the fourth the german first army was moving generally east of a line drawn from Antuil to lisee on the river ork a consideration as to the probable reasons which induced general von kluck to accept the hazard of attempting a flank march across the face of an enemy in position and in the immediate vicinity of a large fortress may with advantage be reserved 
the plan was apparently conceived with the object of making a vigorous effort to break the allies line at some point of supposed weakness but whatever may have been its cause or its ultimate object the french commanders were quick to realize that such changes do not often occur in war and to grasp the fact that this flank march offered them an exceptionally favorable opportunity for attack the project of a further retirement behind the seine was at once abandoned it was general galliani who took the first step for on the morning of the fourth of september he conceived the idea of launching the sixth army against the german forces moving southeast at nine a m he thus wrote to general monori i shall give you your marching orders so soon as i know the direction of the march of the british army meanwhile be ready to march this afternoon so as to make an attack tomorrow the fifth of september east of paris he then telephoned his action to the generalissimo who approved of the course taken and general joffre in the evening issued the necessary orders to his troops general joffre's orders for attack with special reference to the risky situation of the german first army were forthwith sent to the various generals in command of the french and british forces and all the available forces were to be ready for the offensive on the morning of the sixth the arrival of the fourth corps from the neighborhood of verdun was delayed also two reserve divisions too exhausted to take their places in line at the appointed time but by a brilliant move later the military governor of paris harried portions of these troops to the firing line by commandeering thousands of motor cars taxicabs and motor omnibuses the area on which the battle was about to be contested may be delineated as follows a line drawn east and west through compiegne forms the northern boundary and a similar line through cezanne and vitry le Françoise will mark the southern edge the sides of the battlefield being marked by north and south lines drawn through verdun and slightly to the west of compiegne respectively a rectangle is thus formed inside of which took place all the fighting of the battle of the marne and it includes the entrenched positions on the right bank of the aisne back to which the germans retired after their defeat the length of the rectangle from east to west is roughly one hundred and twenty miles and the distance from the southern to the northern edge is fifty miles so that the battlefield may be said to cover an area of some six thousand square miles the eastern strip is generally speaking a large cultivated plain in which the marne flowing through a well-marked valley receives as tributaries the Ourcq and the two morins speaking generally the roads within the area forming the battlefield are good and this applies to the lesser by-roads as well as to the main routes in many cases the latter are fringed with the tall trees so characteristic of french roads a factor which was not without military importance in view of the excellent ranging marks thus afforded for military fire the woods with which the country abounds have mostly a thick undergrowth which renders them a distinct obstacle to attacking troops but such undergrowth is not to be found to quite the same extent in the larger forests a marked distinction between the battlefield and the corresponding area of english country is the almost total absence of the hedgerows so distinctive in rural england this factor gave great freedom of movement and was on the whole in favor of the attacking side such was the setting for the great struggle which was now to open the field was worthy of such a contest it had witnessed the most brilliant efforts of napoleon's strategy and had been the scene of two decisive battles of the world at valmy in seventeen ninety two 
the elder Kellermann had stemmed the tide of invasion on the very day when France first declared herself a republic. Thirteen centuries earlier at Chalons, the Roman general Aetius had driven back the Huns when, under Attila, the torrent of their arms was directed west and south, and their myriads marched under the guidance of one mastermind to the overthrow of the new and old powers of the world. It is difficult to tell the actual numbers arrayed for battle, because the two sides have withheld the exact lists of casualties since the war began, and the exact composition of the reserve corps on the German side is unknown. Exclusive of the garrisons at Verdun and Paris, General Joffre had at least 700,000 men at his disposal. Major Witten states, it is generally believed, except by the German public, that the Germans were superior in numbers along the battlefront. The total estimate of the armies engaged is put by some authorities as high as three million men. Both sides fully realized the importance of the battle which was now opening, and, by proclamations circulated among the troops, the higher commands strove to bring the urgency of the issue clearly before the rank and file. The order of the day, drawn up by the French Generalissimo, is couched in somewhat unconventional terms. Apart from the absence of the customary references to the defense of home and country, it was remarkable for its curt, peremptory, and almost menacing tone. It ran as follows. At the moment when a battle, on which depends the welfare of the country, is about to begin, I have to remind all ranks that the time for looking back is past. Every effort must be made to attack the enemy and hurl him back. Troops which find advance impossible must stand their ground at all costs and die rather than give way. This is a moment when no faltering will be tolerated. The tone of this brief document is curiously at variance with the dramatic appeals to national sentiment and to stirring recollection of bygone victories by which, at critical moments, orders of the day to French armies are usually characterized. Although some fighting had taken place throughout the 5th on the line damartin Mio, the battle proper may be said to have begun at dawn on Sunday, the 6th of September, a dawn which gave promise of a day of almost tropical heat. The French 6th Army had as its task to force the passage of the River Orc between Lisée and Neufchelles, and to make for Chateau Thierry, a movement which was practically tantamount to an order to attack the flank and rear of the German 1st Army. At daybreak, the French troops marched out, the 6th Army acting in two wings, of which the right was formed by the Reserve Corps, which had occupied the line cuissy yvernay Neufmontier. From this line, early on the morning of the 6th, the swing was once more set in motion. The Germans, who were apparently unprepared for such an onslaught, being attacked on the rolling hills round Montillon and Penchard. The French artillery made short work of the German field guns posted right and left of the Meaux-Soissons road and on a smaller elevation above the village of Entrepilly. The village of Barcy was very heavily shelled throughout the day and was reduced to ruins before being taken toward evening by a battalion of chasseurs a pied. Here fell Major Derbal of the Second Suaves, brother of General Derbal, his grave dug by the shell which caused his death, and on the ground which sloped toward the Orc, French and German dead lay in hundreds, in some cases the foes transfixed with bayonets as they had fallen fighting. The day had been one of frequent hand-to-hand -hand encounters, but when darkness fell, General Lamaze's corps had gained several miles of ground and was in occupation of the line Chambry-Barcy-Marcilly. 
while the french reserve corps was thus making headway to the east the seventh corps on its left was attacking the line marcelli assi en montienne at daybreak it had seized the village of saint souplet and was able to push on with considerable speed for practically the whole of the german fourth reserve corps was held by general lamaze's troops on the right part of it was however falling back in a northeasterly direction toward assi en montienne the commander of the german corps had not been slow to realize that the fighting which developed was something far different from a mere affair of advanced troops and had early in the morning sent off to general von kluck urgent appeals for assistance during the day general von kluck continued to send off further reinforcements to deal with what was an obvious peril to his right flank but these columns had now to run the gauntlet of the french eighth division which was south of the marne toward evening some stiff fighting in consequence took place in the Mio woods with the result that the german columns were delayed in their crossing of the marne and the day closed on a distinct tactical success for the french sixth army the british forces also began operations at sunrise later they seized the heights on the grand morin west of coulomiers and by evening lay astride of the grand morin but on the whole they did but little fighting the first day meanwhile the other french armies had come into action and the battle of the grand couronne de nancy reacted favorably on that along the marne the next day it became apparent that general von kluck had taken alarm and that large forces from the german first army were recrossing the marne in the direction of ork a comparatively small force was left to withstand the british the latter moved forward to the attack using their cavalry to great advantage the french fifth army felt the relaxation of pressure on its front caused by the withdrawal of the germans across the marne and its task became largely one of pursuit the fourth and ninth armies had to sustain themselves against fierce attacks while the germans also threatened the french above verdun on the whole the attainments of september seventh were a disappointment on the eighth the germans began to feel the pressure which was to culminate in a general retreat although the day was notable for the violence of the german attacks the british army came more fully into play with the order to force the passage of the petit morin the general order for the british army was now to advance toward nogent lartal as a preliminary step to a further movement toward chateau thierry when the troops left their bivouacs early in the morning the sky was already full of airplanes and the air humming with the whir of their engines as the german cavalry which had been opposing the british throughout the seventh had on the morning of that day fallen back to the right bank of the petit morin the march of the british was at first undisturbed but on reaching that river it was soon realized that the german rearguard would not yield their line without a struggle especially as the steep valley covered with small but thick woods distinctly favored the defense on the british right two battalions of the first corps were sharply engaged about sablonnieres and suffered a number of casualties before they succeeded in clearing the germans out of the village in conjunction with the first cavalry brigade on the left the third corps had passed through la haute maison early in the morning and during the day attacked from the line signy signe joire in the direction of la ferte sous joire supported by some french guns while the british howitzers shelled the bridges of that place across which germans were streaming northward by evening the british had made good the petit morin and were on the west and south of la ferte sous joire wednesday the ninth of september was a day of high winds and drenching rains 
which were especially violent in the center and east of the position. A critical moment had arrived, for on the Ork the battle was still undecided, and the menace to General Manuri's left flank had grown extremely serious. In the absence of a general reserve, reinforcements, however, were difficult to obtain, but the military governor of Paris again rose to the occasion. During the night, he dispatched some Zouave troops by railway and by motors to Saint-Lys and Creil, and apparently at the same time, and by the latter method of transport, he sent the 62nd Reserve Division from the Paris garrison. The Germans on their side were making most determined efforts to drive in the French left flank. During the morning, they gained possession of Nantuil, and their troops were found as far as Baron to the northwest. The French cavalry soon made some prisoners, from whom it was discovered that the new arrivals consisted of at least a brigade of Landwehr troops. The French 4th Corps, less the 8th Division, was now upon the extreme left. In face of the severe attack upon his front, and fearing that the enemy at Baronne might work round toward his rear, its commander withdrew toward Sillé le Long. General Manouri, when he heard what was happening, instantly sent a staff officer to General Boel, the commander of the corps, with instructions to hold his ground at all cost, and even to advance, regardless of sacrifices. In response to this urgent message, General Boel halted his men, and flanked by some of the 1st Cavalry Corps, struggled northwards toward Nantuil. General von Kluck had, however, now shot his bolt. News had apparently reached him about midday from General Marwitz, who was commanding the rear guard on the Marne, indicating the difficulties that he was experiencing in face of the strong British advance. This intelligence, coupled later with the news that the French Fourth Corps was coming on again at Nantuil, seems to have brought it home to him that there was now nothing for it but a frank retreat. The definite orders to that effect were issued somewhere about 8 p.m., but these were anticipated by instructions for the immediate withdrawal of troops not actually engaged. During the afternoon, French aeroplanes were therefore able to report that immense German trains east of the Ork were heading northeast, evidently in full retreat, and that these were being followed by columns of all arms. General Manouri summoned the 8th Division to leave the right flank and to hurry to Sillé le Long so as to be in position to support an attack which he proposed to deliver with his left early on the 10th. This, he hoped, would put the seal on the victory which his army had now unquestionably achieved. This happy consummation for the French was not, however, entirely due to the counterstroke of the 7th Division of the 4th Corps, for elsewhere along the line of the 6th Army the remaining troops had played a gallant part. The Germans had previously destroyed the bridges at La Ferte-sous-Joire, and the British were unable to bridge the Marne during daylight. But by nightfall, the bulk of the Third Corps had crossed, and the Second Corps forced the passage higher up the river. A German battery was immediately taken, and the British pressed forward. The French Fifth Army was also busy on the Marne. The Ninth was compelled to give some ground, but the Third, under General Sorel, put the Crown Prince's army near Verdun into a position not unlike that of von Kluck's forces a few days before. According to trustworthy reports, the German emperor on the evening of the 9th of September found himself compelled to sign an order for the general retreat of the five armies between Paris and Verdun. A summary of the day might therefore be confined to the statement that the Germans had acknowledged defeat, and that therefore the French had won a victory. This, however, is somewhat beside the point, 
For the question to consider is how the situation presented itself to the French Generalissimo at the end of the day. He could not, naturally, have been aware of the issue of the momentous order of the German Emperor, and his conclusions had to be based upon results actually known. On the Ork, the crisis had been passed with clear gain to the French Sixth Army. That the Germans would have to acknowledge defeat was extremely probable, but the extent of his own victory remained problematic. General Joffre had experienced constant retreat himself almost since the war broke out, but he had never for a moment allowed retreat to affect his determination to use it purely as a means of resuming the offensive at his own time and under his own conditions. Such time and conditions had occurred, and General Joffre had been quick to use them. Everything, therefore, depended upon the capacity of his armies so to press the pursuit as to deny the enemy the power of reforming within a reasonable time or within a favorable situation for retaking the offensive. The next morning the British started in pursuit in the pouring rain. Many parties of the Germans were rounded up, but the bulk of them were glad to surrender. The French armies also joined in the pursuit, with changes of front to the northeast according to General Joffre's plan as a whole. The retreat of the Germans could not be called a rout, since it was well managed and the heavy guns were got away in safety according to plans prepared with the thoroughness characteristic of the Germans. The last of the infantry escorting the guns were hurried away in motor cars. The pursuit continued on the following day, and finally the Germans reached their entrenched positions on the Aisne, the fact that they sought shelter being the most eloquent confession of failure they could have made. End of section 16. This recording is in the public domain.